to Fucked Up by Faith. My name's Jude Mills. In this podcast, we have conversations with people who've been fucked up by their faith, and we explore how they found hope, healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness in or out of their faith tradition. My guest today is the happy heretic who is an ex-evangelical Instagrammer and she is accompanied today by her beautiful cat so you might hear some purring in the background. Welcome. Thank you, nice to be uh, here. Yes, it's it's great. I, I follow you on Instagram and you know I, I really appreciate some of the things that you post about and I just thought you would you'd it would be great to have you on the podcast, so I'm really glad that you're here. Um, so I, I start every podcast by reading a poem or a blessing or a prayer. And so today I've chosen a poem by uh, an American poet called Denise Levertov, who's one of my favourite poets, and it's called A Gift. Just when you seem to yourself nothing but a flimsy web of questions, you are given the questions of others to hold in the emptiness of your hands. Songbird eggs that can still hatch if you keep them warm. Butterflies opening and closing themselves in your cupped palms, trusting you not to injure their scintillant, scintillant fur their dust. You are given the questions of others as if they were answers to all you ask. Yes, perhaps this gift is your answer. Mm. <laughs> That's lovely. Mm -hmm. So, as you know, this podcast is called Fucked Up by Faith. Mm -hmm. So, how have you been fucked up by your faith? Well, okay, let's start at the beginning, because I was an atheist first, mm -hmm. um, and I grew up in an atheist household, and I didn't go to church except for, you know, various special occasions through school or, um, or other likes of the kids clubs and stuff, um, until I was in my early 20s when I met my ex-husband. He was very dedicated to his faith. Um, he grew up in an evangelical Christian home and uh, faith was so important to him that he had a conversation with me very early on where he said, if you're not prepared to even consider coming to church to see what it's about, we can't carry on. Mm. Um, so he gave me an ultimatum right off the bat. Um, and I thought, okay, well, you know, he has a point. I'd been pretty close-minded up until that point. I'd been quite, um, quite aggressively anti-faith actually of all sorts um particularly Christianity I took real issue with it despite not really having a huge amount of knowledge about it mm. and I thought right he's called me out on my ignorance here I'm gonna you know I'll call this bluff and I'll go <laughs> um but it started kind of slow I was really resistant at first um I actually didn't want to go to church at all it, it started with um me allowing him to tell me about what happened at the service mm -hmm. and then allowing him to read from a book written about Christianity, you know, like mere Christianity or something. Um, yeah. Then it turned into, okay, you can read some Bible verses to me and explain the context of them and what they're about. And then, okay, you can pray for me, but I'm not going to say amen. And it, all this kind of really slow stuff <laughs> until eventually I went to church. Um, 
and uh, at that point uh, he was going to an evangelical Anglican church which is kind of a strange combination so there was quite a lot of tradition um, you know a vicar wearing a dog collar and all that kind of stuff lots of stand up sit down um, but then also the evangelical side where they were kind of you know some hands in the air occasionally and uh, <laughs> a bit of outreach and you know being a little bit you know out there compared to other um, Anglican churches so it was a nice environment and they were very welcoming um, but I did feel from the off like I didn't quite belong and I never really shifted that that never left um, and we got married at that church and we were there for a few years um, we left largely because the vicar refused to baptize me when I asked um okay yeah and his we're, reasons we're... were unusual okay you, you, um, you share what those reasons were yeah sure he uh he he knew that I had been christened as a baby so infant baptism by my parents um who as I've mentioned are atheists so it was done for traditional purposes mm -hmm. um my argument was that I didn't believe in infant baptism I didn't think it made any sense because according to the bible it was an outward display of faith and babies don't have that um, it was a baptism against my will by atheist parents that meant nothing. So I wanted to have my own baptism, but he refused because he said it's one baptism for the forgiveness of all sins and you have been baptized. I will not do it for you. Yeah, that's fairly so, standard Church of England. Yeah. Yeah, interesting response that I, I really I wasn't expecting. and I was quite taken aback, actually. So um, having been a member there for sort of four years, I thought that was very bizarre. But yeah, whatever. Uh, another church, another local church um, had actually offered to baptise me. They were doing a baptism service uh, in the sea. Um, so I did that. Um, and, you know, the English sea is not exactly tropical. So that was an interesting experience. Um, but I really liked it. And that church were um, very open and free and a lot more welcoming and we ended up going there um, they were literally a free church they were in a, a community center on um, a bit of a nasty council estate um, and they actually really cared about their community and they were really open and, and out with with trying to do that kind of stuff however some of those traditional views still remained the congregation was still a little older like a lot of churches are um, and the little bits of judgment creeped in um, and eventually we left there because they treated an unmarried couple with um, a lot of distasteful um, finger wagging and, and mm. accusatory glares. Um, and, you know, this couple are sort of in their mid to late 50s, early 60s. Uh, they really didn't need to be told what to do. They'd been together for 30 years. They knew where they stood in their faith with God. They really didn't need someone their own age telling them that they couldn't be in the same room you know on a weekend away with the church it was all very silly and we just yeah. thought okay we don't want to be part of this either so we left there um ended up at the last church that we were at before I left um which again was a free church part of like an evangelical kind of franchise if you like mm -hmm. um so not quite mega church but it was in that sort of big church family yeah. Um, which kind of set off a few alarm bells, but we liked a few people that were there. My ex-husband had some friends there from a long time ago. Um, it was in the hometown he grew up in. So we went, we actually moved to the town to be close to that church. We were really heavily involved. Um, I forgot to mention I've been involved in church music all the way through my sort of church career, as it were. So I've been part of worship bands and choirs all the way yeah. through. Yeah. And that's kind of why they took us in at this church, because they knew that we were both um, musicians. They needed some more for their for their worship team. So they just let us join. Um, and, and it felt kind of OK for a while. But there's that. 
And this is what has started to sort of sting since I left. It's that vibe of, hi, we're welcoming and casual and we wear polo shirts and jeans and we won't judge you and our pastor is 30. But once you're in there, they kind of go, yeah, but we don't like gays and we don't like people that aren't married and we don't like people that do drugs or, or drink and all these little bits start coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how it felt for, for me when, once I was there. But I thought, no, I'll grin and bear it. You know, I've never fully agreed with any of the churches that I'd been at. There was always a few things that irked me, but I thought I can get I can get by. It'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but their views on women were, were kind of questionable as well. Um, you know, not allowing uh, female elders but, you know, elders' wives were allowed to be part of the wider leadership team, whatever that means. <laughs> exactly. And, and presumably do, do some of the catering and... Oh, all yeah. the catering and running the kids' groups, obviously. Of course, yes. Um, and organising weekends away and all the other kind of, you know, girl stuff that girls are meant to do. Um, and the women's nights were, you know, wine and cheese and craft and the men's nights were whiskey and poker. And I wanted to go to the whiskey and poker nights, but I, I wasn't, we weren't permitted to do that because we were ladies. Um, and it all just felt a bit, you know, considering they were so, look at us, we're modern and cool and jazzy. They were so traditional, really, in their views. And it was it was very frustrating. Um, and when my marriage fell apart um, and I chose to leave, the finger pointing was was quick. At you. Um, at me, yeah. So the, I mean, the situation is that my ex-husband had a breakdown um, and he was genuinely very poorly and it was very upsetting. But um, in that time, once I started getting counselling, it became apparent to me that actually our marriage really hadn't been healthy probably the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of things obviously I won't go into. I think there's too much personally identifying information in that story, but it's basically, he was genuinely ill. It was very sad. I tried very hard to look after him, but it made me very ill. Um, and he actually was being quite abusive as part of this breakdown. And it got to a point where I thought, okay, I can't actually do this anymore. Um, so I left, but in the midst of that, there was me becoming friends with somebody that I met online. Cause I do a lot of online gaming. I'm a big nerd. Um, I made a friend online. He was very nice to me. He really had no ulterior motives. He was genuinely very sweet. Um, but I was aware that I was leading on him quite a lot and I was leaning on him for the things my husband wasn't giving me. And I owned up to that immediately to my ex-husband um I owned up to that to the pastor and his wife to make sure that everything was out in the open mm-hmm. um which is a classic symptom of being in churches too isn't it especially as women we feel like we can't have privacy we have to be you know beyond reproach everything has to be out in the open you can't keep anything secret and that's how it felt so I kind of laid it all out which in hindsight I didn't need to um but it meant that once I'd left my my ex-husband the fingers went straight to me because they thought that I had been having an affair, that I'd been doing something inappropriate. Um, I wasn't honoring my husband, um, blah, blah, blah. He eventually actually told everybody that I had been having an affair and it all got very unpleasant. Um, he wouldn't leave me alone. It was it was getting very gross. Um, but the, the first thing the church did when I left was um, kick me off the worship team. That was their first port of call. Hmm. That was the only way that I served the church um, because I'm prone to burnout and I don't tend to volunteer myself for too much because I'm prone to overdoing that. So I was very strictly only in the worship team. That was all I did. I was rededicated to it. I had joined the tech team also, so I was learning how to do sound for the other bands. I was really invested in that little team. Um, And yeah, they said, well, while you're sorting out your personal issues, we thought it would be best if you took a step back the worship team and I said well that's very kind but I don't agree um I would like to stay and then it became clear that it wasn't a suggestion 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some back and forth where I offered some biblical arguments and said, well, actually, if we look at the Bible, we can see plenty of examples of biblical heroes, Jesus included, doing their duty for their communities when they're in a time of deep personal distress. Um, mm-hmm. And I offered lots and lots of those examples. And I said, if you can give me a biblical argument for removing me from service, I'll accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they did not. Um, they refused, actually. They said, no, we're not going to do that. This is how it is. This is how we do this. If you're in personal distress, we take you off the worship team and that's that. You're not fit to serve. Okay. So I stopped going. Mm-hmm. Nobody noticed. Um, I didn't receive any calls from anybody. Mm. Apart from the pastor and his wife who insisted on coming around and passive aggressively giving me a book on healing broken marriages. Um, the pastor's wife told me that I did not understand the intentions of men and that I was naive in regards to my online friend. Um, and I had to inform her that I was aware she had only ever been with the pastor, whereas I had had a whole life before Christianity where I'd had many relationships and I definitely was not naive and I did not need her advice. <laughs> um, and that was the last time I ever saw them. They left, they left my flat and I didn't speak to them after that. Um, and slowly but surely, people sort of drifted away. People started deleting me off social media. Uh, my best friend from that church actually completely ghosted me. She just removed me from her life entirely. She dropped out of sort of WhatsApp group chats and things, blocked me on all the social media um, and never spoke to me again. Mm. Um, I have two friends left from that church, but they're not really in touch with me. They're still friends with the others and I imagine it's uncomfortable for them. So um, yeah, that's a good sort of hundred or so people that just disappeared from my life in an instant. Yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's a lot. Mm. <laughs> Um, and it kind of left me pondering faith in general, mm-hmm. um, where I stood with that. Um, I had a faith-based job as well at the time. Um, and it was a uh, it was an occupational requirement to be a practicing Christian, whatever that means. Um, hard to define in HR terms, but apparently it was legit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so once I'd kind of started questioning my faith, it all started to get a bit sticky. And I thought, okay, I can't be involved in anything that's going to cloud my judgment. So I quit that job and got a new one. Um, I removed myself from all kind of church related things and just kind of started sitting with it. And remarkably quickly, actually, I realized that I right now don't believe in anything because I cannot believe in the Christian God based on my you know 10 years of experience. And I was really into theology and Bible study and I studied ancient Hebrew and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm can't get on board with the Christian God at all now I just think if this is if this is how if this is how I have to interpret the Bible to follow this God I don't want to be a part of it Mm. um and I'm left with this feeling of satisfaction actually that I don't know what the answer is Mm. and I feel like I'm not anti-God or anti-faith or anti-religion in any sort I just I am yet to be convinced and I'm happy to be in that position and that's kind of where I've ended up. And that's where the Happy Heretic Instagram has kind of come from, is all part of that big mess where I was trying to figure it all out. Um, and I still am figuring it out. Mm-hmm. So the Instagram remains. <laughs> Given that you came out of a of the, an, you know, an atheist upbringing and immediately into the evangelical church in various guises, mm. and and that has really sort of formed your idea of what God wants to say to people via the Bible <laughs> because yeah. that's often how you know the evangelical church frames it isn't it you know that mm-hmm. the Bible is the infallible word of God but you know if it says it in there that's 
that's how it's meant to be except when it doesn't mm -hmm. serve them of course in the in the case of uh, yeah. you you getting chucked out of the worship <laughs> worship and but given that there are so many other theological perspectives mm. i'm just wondering if that you know if if part of your questioning is part is if that that if that exploration has been part of your questioning journey yeah i mean that's kind of i think i shortcutted the story a bit because when i first started thinking about it all um i actually was looking at different branches of christian theology first yeah, yeah. because i thought this doesn't line up with what i want to believe is true i don't like this this is very you know exclusive um and and mostly unkind um from my experience and i just thought i don't want to be part of that but is there another way to follow jesus and and not be an asshole, quite frankly um and and i found like liberation theology and a few mm -hmm. other types like that or i thought you know this is interesting i like this idea you know where you don't take the bible literally is the is the first point that i took from that i thought yeah not taking the bible literally makes sense to me you know it's full of poetry and parables and um you know and also historical context that is just not considered when people are following it literally and i found those kinds of branches of theology where you're not looking at it as an infallible you know to-do list by god makes it much easier to, to then read it and you can appreciate it in a different way um and i looked at a bit of that and i thought i like this but it's still not it's still not sitting right i still don't think yeah. that this is for me and i and i kept sort of doing that and that's that's when i found the whole deconstruction thing i didn't know that was a thing i stumbled across a post on my personal instagram account a few months back um and i thought oh my goodness this woman is talking about my life right now <laughs> um uh, and i think that was that loud deconstructing when i found her her posts and i just thought oh my god there are people like me doing the same thing that i'm doing and they don't understand what their faith is either and i just need to find all of these and i started following them and um and after a while i thought right i'm enjoying sharing this stuff with people but there are people that i'm connected to personally that i thought I don't want to bombard them with this first of all because it's quite a personal journey and they might not understand because I, I have a, a huge amount of atheist friends too um and i thought this is not relevant for a lot of them i'm going to just create the second account once yeah. i created the second account it just it went wild because i could find all these accounts and there were so many different there are infinite different ways to deconstruct um yes. and finding all these different people having amazing experiences and getting to be involved in that conversation was just incredible um particularly in regards to exploring sort of faith uh, in regards to sexuality and personal identity as well, because that was quite a big thing for me, realizing that I'm not straight was quite a big deal earlier this year. Yeah. Um, it answered a lot of questions that I'd had before that I hadn't realized were even really there. Um, and that was another thing that was taking me into the sequence. I'm thinking, well, if I follow the Bible literally, I can't actually, because I now know that this is who I am and how I am. I know it's not a choice. So what I'm reading in the Bible doesn't represent that. I can't follow it. Um, that's been a huge part of it too. Yeah. So I have been looking at lots of theology, but it's still landed me all the way down in this place. <laughs> yeah. All the way up. Yeah. I want to look at it. Yeah. It's a wonderful unraveling. Yes. Process. Yeah. I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the the most liberating things that I discovered in my theological kind of journey was was stumbling upon upon queer theology that there was even such a thing, mm. and that there are you know really quite overt 
queer an, an analyses of the Bible and interpretations uh, that are immensely liberating and mm -hmm. yeah that's that was revelatory and beautiful for me <laughs> to go yeah oh. and also um i think very early on to 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 discover that categorically jesus said sod all about homosexuality <laughs> nothing not a word yeah um and so if evangelicals would take the word of jesus literally they might mm. um they might be a little bit uh more welcoming yeah, see, I'm still on board with Jesus. Jesus is a groovy guy. Yeah, he's, he's a good. Uh, he's a group. social radical. He yeah. stands up for women and gay people mostly. Um, Absolutely, mm -hmm. I'm into it. I think he's cool, but um, yeah, I just can't get behind the religion aspect of him. That's no, all. no, no. A lot, a lot of strangeness has been done in his name for sure. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So you get kicked out of the worship band group, worship <laughs> yep. team. Yeah, team, not just the band, the whole yeah, mm -hmm. um, and and gradually all these people that you were that you had various degrees of relationship have kind of fallen away. Mm -hmm. and apart from your your sort of personal deconstruction, in terms of your faith, there's a whole life deconstruction happening at the same time, right? Yeah, because because your life is is largely built around this this social fabric mm. and i'm so I'm, I'm just wondering if you want to say a little bit more about that you don't have to but i'm you know that's the other thing that i'm curious about is where does the rebuilding of a life come out of that yeah okay i like that it's a good question um i feel like i have this kind of um almost i see it as an almost unfair advantage because like i said i was an atheist first and then a christian and then deconverted it's kind of yeah. like i'm going back to default um i appreciate a lot of people especially in the american um churches a lot of them have been brought up like that they're deconstructing their entire belief system from birth which is which must be just deeply unsettling in ways that i I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. um, at least this way, I was kind of going, okay, I'm going to unpick and go back to the start and then figure it out. And that's kind of where I've landed. But it also meant that I have existing friends and social frameworks outside of church. Yeah. Um, I had neglected them for a decade. Um, but this is another part of the deconstruction, really, because I started gingerly, tentatively getting back in touch with people that maybe I'd actually, I felt I'd been unkind to, actually, or I mm -hmm. felt like... Um, I had at least been, you know, not great to people that I just kind of stopped talking to, or I, or I am, um, I never, never cut anybody off or ghosted anybody, but my ex-husband was um, very traditional about friendships and I wasn't allowed to maintain any of my male friendships. Um, I have always predominantly had male friends ever since I was a teenager. Um, when I met my ex-husband, most of my friends were men. I hardly had any female friends. I've always found it quite hard to relate to women. Um, I don't really know why it's got better as I've got older, but I still prefer male company. Mostly they're usually into the things I'm into computer games and heavy metal and um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so it's been really great to get in touch with those people. But it's been like, hi, how are you? Sorry, I haven't spoken to you in 10 years. Um, by the way, I'm getting divorced and I've left the church. Do you want to hang out? That's kind of how I've been approaching people. Um, and they've been so incredibly gracious. I could not... I can't imagine anybody at church being as kind as all of these non-church people have been. Some of them are diehard atheists, some of them are sort of spiritual in different ways. Um, 
that's irrelevant. The point is that they're all non-Christians. Um, they're all non-church-going people, and they have been just incredibly lovely. And there's been no issue. When I've said I'm so sorry for being a shit friend for 10 years, they've gone, well, you know, you were married, and you were you were doing your thing, and you were happy. So I just figured you were okay. It's, there's no hard feelings, um, which is lovely, because if someone just buggered off and didn't talk to me for 10 years, I'd be like, well, sod you. Um, if they came back, I'd be like, no. Um, but they've all been great. They've all been inviting me out places and... Um, you know, I've, I've gone to, to pubs with people and gone to the cinema and all kinds of exciting things that, you know, I haven't done for, you know, even pre-COVID, I hadn't done these things for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been great to rebuild that. And, and I built a stronger relationship with my family because I had to move back in with my mum when I left my ex-husband. Um, so we got a lot closer in the couple of months I have to, had to live with her in her house. So <laughs> um, mm. yeah, I, I, in that respect, sort of rebuilding has been, has been nice. And when I started my new job, you know, I started my new job like this, you know, as I am now um, yeah. with my ridiculous haircut because I shaved my hair at the beginning of lockdown. I went like complete buzz cut bald, um, which I recommend to everyone. I think it's a great thing to yeah. do at least yeah. once. Me, me too. Um, I've done it quite recently. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Best thing I ever did. Um, so, yeah, I, can, I got to join this workplace with like stupid purple curly hair and nerdy glasses and a new collection of lipsticks. I haven't been allowed to wear lipstick for 10 years. Um, all kinds of things and you know like political feminist t-shirts and I can just be me and I was just accepted for being me there was no questions um I was just they just took me at face value and it was just so liberating to be like oh I can actually just start again and just be me they don't have to know any of that stuff I can just go ahead I can now set my own boundaries I don't have to tell people everything about myself all the time I can keep things just for me um and I've been, I've been practicing that a lot as well. Um, and all of that is part of the reconstruction that I've been doing. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's kind of preventing me from spreading my wings a little more is being stuck in the town that I was in before. So I'm stuck in a town where no one likes me, um, that's <laughs> which tricky. is not ideal. Yeah, that is tricky. Yeah. But apart from that, it's great. Something is something has really struck me as you were describing both the way that you've been kind of... Um, reabsorbed into your old friendships and community and networks and and also the the ways in which people are accepting you for you as you in your job and in your social life um i was struck by how i'm going to use quote marks listeners can't see but how christian all of that sounded mm, right <laughs> right in the in in what i consider to be the real sense of the word yeah you know accepted with grace you use that word it's one of my favorite words because mm. that's my absolute 100 percent fundamental belief about who god is is that that god bestows grace entirely on everybody all the time yeah and that these ways in which people are behaving which is about rejection and judgment and sin again i'm using those inverted mm. commas are are the opposite of that as far as i'm concerned and so the yeah. ways in which these non-faith people have have bestowed this grace on you is strikes me as being way more christian <laughs> yeah and and their response to the situation has been so um has been so like beautifully supportive too when you when you remove judgment when you remove your own sort of unconscious bias or even your conscious bias um mm -hmm. from a situation and you just 
listen to someone's experience you can actually just empathize with them like a normal human being Mm -hmm. when you have that underlying agenda which even though all of my lovely friends assure me that I was one of the again the quotation marks nice Christians they never thought that I was ramming down anyone's throat they never thought that I was judgmental I still know for a fact that I held beliefs that weren't okay particularly about gay people Mm -hmm. um I I believed that it wasn't okay for them even though I couldn't understand why it wasn't okay I had to believe that it wasn't okay Mm -hmm. um and uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there um (laughs) I can't remember what I was even going to what was I saying I was talking about how your friends who are who are not Christians have have accepted you in a way which I would describe as essentially Christian (laughs) Yes, yeah. So I was saying, if you take away your agendas when you're listening to someone, yes, yeah, you take away your agenda and your and your underlying belief systems and stuff, and just listen to somebody. You can actually just be really empathetic with them and just really actually feel what they're going through and really just be there and listen. When you have those underlying beliefs of what you think life is supposed to be or how things are supposed to go, you can't help but want to offer well, this is, if you did this, it would be okay, you know, which tends to be the, you know, the Christian platitudes that always used to piss me off anyway. Even when I was a Christian, I'd say, don't do that to me. I'm going through a shit time. Can you just say, oh, that's a bit shit. And then I'll be all right. You don't, I don't need all of this stuff. So to have a bunch of people to just go, you know what, that sounds really shit. I'm really sorry you've gone through that. I'm here if you need me. You know, what What do you want to do to make you feel better? Do you want to go down to the beach? Do you want to, you know, I went and did a book burning ceremony on the beach with my friends um, and I burned all of my, all of my most distressing Christian books that I had um, in my possession, um, including certain translations of Bibles that make me really angry, like the King James Version and um, a few other things. And I'm sure people will frown at the idea of me burning a Bible, but it was very therapeutic um, and and it wasn't hateful. I wasn't like, you know, I didn't make a big song and dance about it. Look at me, I'm burning Bibles. It was just, I had to do that as a bit yeah. of a release. And I had three friends with me who were very supportive and it was just lovely. <laughs> and it, it, it was part of what you needed to do to, well, rituals are very powerful. And, you know, that's something that I like. Yeah. I believe very strongly as well is that human beings need ritual. And ultimately, that's why we're we're yeah we've created religions at all <laughs> is to, is that we create rituals around belief yeah um but personal yeah. personal rituals are you know are can be incredibly powerful and fire can be an incredibly mm. powerful part of that right so yeah. allowing yourself to to be rid of the things that that you feel are are you know cause you distress or are poisoning or toxic to your just to your brain mm. or your nervous system or your environment you know yeah, yeah yeah definitely and it was also a case of you know I didn't want to pass these things on to anybody else I didn't want to donate them somewhere I didn't want to give them to people I wanted them to not exist anymore um there are some things yeah. that I could potentially donate maybe but it just felt to me like the wrong thing to do I felt like I just need to get rid of them um especially the book that was brought around by the pastor and his wife I had to burn it it made me so angry I, I, I never read it I took it out of this envelope to burn it um and I said right well let's look at what this is actually about before I burn it um and I remember that they told me at the time there was a whole chapter that they have a post-it note in there to say not not to sort of take on board because they didn't agree with it and the chapter was about what to do if your husband sexually abuses your children um and in that chapter i'm assuming they were recommending that the husband gets away with it to a certain extent 
um like you just forgive him and and he's the head of the household and he can do what he wants is kind of the general vibe i got from the whole book really um but they had just said oh well disregard this chapter but the rest of it's good i'm like well if he's going to write a chapter like that i don't want to read the rest of it no surely (laughs) like yes (laughs) no yeah yeah yeah, i just i feel up for burning that one yeah (laughs) yeah I just think if he's going to sort of advocate for child abuse, I don't really think I want to trust his opinion on anything else either. Um, no. So yeah, we burn that one pretty swiftly. Hmm. The other thing that's really kind of strongly sort of coming to to the fore for me is um, I've done a lot of reading and listening and research over kind of the past year or so about cult dynamics. I'm particularly interested mm. in relation to organisations. Mm. Uh, organizations and individuals and 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 how many parallels <laughs> there are um, between people who are leaving what the group the kind of groups that we would describe as ordinarily describe as cults mm. and people who are leaving these church environments and the kinds of sort of psychological techniques that are used either to try and bring them back or 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 certainly and certainly what happens to them after they leave mm. there's so many parallels and I'm, I'm just wondering if you've got any kind of thoughts or feelings around that too many um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know what i had a really good chat with um <coughs> excuse me an old friend of mine one of the ones i reconnected with um he's a psychotherapist and has been for a long time um and he's kind of drifted in and out to say hello over the years Um, And in hindsight, I now know that he was checking in, actually. I think he was quite concerned about my situation um, because he knew me before. And when we reconnected, he said, look, I always knew you to be an intelligent and strong woman. And it's always confused me that you ended up in what essentially has always, to me, sounded like a cult. And I've been concerned um, about that. And once in in one of our early conversations this year, he said something about, um, I've been going through a lot of counselling over the last year. Uh, which has been incredible, absolutely life-changing counselling. And we were talking about that and about emotional vulnerability. Um, and he said, well, you know, what's the, what's the best position for someone to be in to be a victim of a cult? And I said, well, emotionally vulnerable. And he said, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. How did you feel when you first joined the church? What were you looking for in your life when you joined the church? And I said, well, actually, I was in a pretty low place. You know, I was only in my early 20s, but I'd had my heart broken a lot. I'd already been in an abusive relationship. I felt dejected. I didn't have a community. Um, me and my family were not close. They thought I was weird. They still think I'm weird, but in a nice way now. But they thought I was weird. And, you know, I didn't really fit in anywhere. And I was looking for that sense of belonging and community. And I wanted to know that I mattered and all that kind of stuff. But which everyone gets, you know, but I think there was an awful lot of um, sort of worryingly low self-esteem tied in with that to a point where a group like that church could say, oh, hey, you're welcome here. Come be our friend. And I'd go straight for it. And that's exactly what I did. I took the bait and was straight in there, volunteered myself for everything. I was part of the church pantomimes and the youth groups and the kids work and the music. And I just did everything. Um, And I loved it. I loved feeling like I mattered and like I was important. And it was all feeding my ego, but in all the wrong ways. I wasn't dealing with any of my actual issues. I was just masking it with all these like, you know, all these church activities and all all this kind of sense of community but I never had any real friends you know and when I look back on it I'm like if I had real friends they'd still be with me now mm-hmm. and they're not 
every time I left a church, I lost contact with pretty much everyone. I've got maybe 10 people I'm in contact with who are part of these three churches that I've been part of for 10 years. It's very telling, I think, in terms of the cult religion comparison, that, you know, if you were really in a fellowship, a faith fellowship, you would be close with those people in a way that's like normal and organic and it's not forced based on the fact that you're in the same club you know whereas all these people in a kind of cult setting we were hanging out because we you know quote unquote believed the same thing um and that's what our foundation of friendship was when we had nothing in common and if we'd met out in the street we wouldn't be friends you know and it's it it, it feels very manufactured and very contrived once you're outside it looking back in it's like, how did I ever think that was genuine fellowship? How did I ever think that was genuine friendship? It's so forced. Um, and yeah, the way they treat you when you try to leave is interesting. I really wasn't expecting what happened to me because the church, for all the faults that I've described, initially they were very supportive when I said that my husband was being abusive and that I was frightened. They gave me very good advice that I would give somebody in that situation. They gave me solid legal advice also. Um, they recommended counseling they did all the right things mm -hmm. um but once I said I'm leaving suddenly all this weird cult stuff came into play like you know kicking me off the worship team with no real explanation and starting starting to kind of ostracize me and sort of push me out um I almost felt kind of excommunicated because they weren't giving me an option it wasn't like you can stay as you are it was like you can stay if you fix what's broken about you and then you can belong again and that's how it felt and I thought well if you don't want me in my actual natural self going through this terrible terrible time that I'm going through then I would rather go through it alone actually and that's exactly what I did and I moved into my flat by myself and just cried for several months and had lots of counseling and just got over it because they weren't helping um, and they made it clear I wasn't welcome and I feel like that's cults isn't it cults are like you're you're welcome until you're not like if you're if you're towing the line and doing what you're meant to then you can stay. As soon as you've got questions that we don't like, or as soon as you've got opinions that don't quite line up, or if you do something that isn't quite holy, then you're out. Yeah. Um, and that was how it felt. And that's how it still feels really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose one of the, the, the most imp important parts of, of recovering from that kind of experience, whether it's a mm. Of, of a high demand groups let's say <laughs> um is, is exactly what you've described is that mm. you are able to reorientate yourself back into a life that is familiar yeah um and you know that's that's what's in, for me has been incredibly positive about your 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 story is that you had friends mm. from your former life you you know you you have a family you you weren't always an evangelical christian so you can kind of reorientate yourself back to your pre-evangelical <laughs> even yeah. if it's, even if it's in a sort of deconstructed state it's there there is that potential um mm. plus the counseling and and everything else that, that you've sort of therapeutically gathered around you including your instagram account yeah wonderful you know yeah that's been hugely helpful um, yeah yeah, and, and rebranded it at the Happy Heretic once I'd kind of, once I'd got over the sort of personal stuff that I was dealing with, you know, because I was called the Exvangelical before, and that was just a knee-jerk reaction. I used that name because it's the name of a group I was in on Facebook. Um, 
but Facebook, as you may or may not know, is a very toxic place. And I was finding actually I wasn't really getting the sort of support I wanted there. Um, so I figured I'd try Instagram. I've always had better luck with Instagram. People tend to be nicer on there. Made an ex-angelical account. And that really was just a platform for me to go blah, 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 blah about all my feelings. But after a while, I realized actually it's, it's more than that now. Um, I'm part of a community now. You know, I'm, my, my voice is part of a bunch of other voices all saying different things. I have a sort of, not a responsibility, that's, that's the only word I can think of. I have a sort of responsibility to not just me, me, me about this. This, is, this includes a lot of other people. There are people following my account now who are going through these journeys themselves. And I need to be posting about stuff that matters to everyone, not just things that matter to me. So I'm trying to make it a bit more open um, and also trying to go for more of that angle of like hopefulness and, and positivity because a lot of people in the deconstruction community are angry and sad. Mm -hmm as they have every right to be, but it, it can mean the content can be pretty draining sometimes. And it's nice to inject some, some life and, and positivity in there. Um, and I will say for Christianity and, and churches in general, that is something I've taken from that experience, actually. I've, I've learned a lot of very good things about being a decent human being from mm -hmm. being part of church. It's not all bad. Um, I learned to be a lot less selfish. I learned to, to look outwards a lot more, um, despite what, what we might understand about churches not really behaving as they should, they're not behaving in that Christian way that, that, um, that we were talking about earlier. Um, there are elements of biblical teaching and just the Bible in general that are great. Um, the stuff that Jesus said was brilliant. And if you just followed it, people, you know, I've been saying to people since I left, I'm like the, the basic principle of the biblical teachings that are worth following are don't be a dick. <laughs> and I'm like, everyone can get on board with that, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, Something I ask everybody to offer mm -hmm. um, as we reach the end of our conversation is I might, I, you might not want to offer a prayer, but maybe you will. I don't know. A prayer or a blessing or a poem or just some some thoughts or words to kind of leave with our listeners. So this is from a book called Vulnerable AF, you can't see because my daughter. Vulnerable AF, which is a book of poems by Tariana Tank Ball. Tank is the lead singer of Tank and the Bangers, who are an amazing band if you haven't heard them. They're from New Orleans. Um, and Tank is a friend of mine and I love her very much. And she wrote this book of poetry. And it's got some of her songs in that I recognize, but I read this poem. <laughs> she asked me to read one and record it for her. And I think it might be this one um, when I get around to doing it. It's called Survival Guide. When you finally learn the right way to play with fire, you will burn the bridge that constantly brought you back to him. You will notice the vines that you swung on to avoid his mood swings. You will climb them and you will cut them at the root. Why? Such a thing will grow back if not severed properly. You'll be hungry. Your stomach will no longer feed off the bullshit. You'll realize it's not as filling as you once thought it was. You will become cold. You will miss his arms that provided warmth and shelter. You will hear voices, you will see things. Certain pictures will make you remember, but remember memories only show our favorite scenes. When you finally get off your knees, you will notice the ocean beneath your feet. You will stop drowning when you realize you can breathe through your tears. You will then understand that you are a survivor in every sense of the word, and you will no longer need a guide to tell you what you already know. Hmm. Thank you. And I struggled to read that without crying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's quite quite pokey. 
It is. Yeah, pokey. It's a bit ouchy, that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. It's been really wonderful and very hope-filled. Um, Good. Well, it was lovely to be here. I'm very flattered that you've invited me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Fucked Up by Faith with me, Jude Mills. Our music is by David Goodall and you can find the podcast on Spotify and all major podcast channels. If you would like to take part in the podcast or you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please do get in touch. You can do that via my website, judemills.com forward slash podcast and I look forward to hearing from you. Go well.